Hey everyone, I'm Brian Conley of Hunters HD Gold, and you're listening to Season 2 of Hunters HD Gold Behind the Lens. This podcast takes a deep dive into what it takes to be a match director, manufacturer, sponsored shooter, or just an everyday shooter trying to win his or her first major. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Hunters HD Gold Behind the Lens. Welcome back to another episode of Hunter's HD Gold Behind the Lens. Today I'm sitting down with a good friend of mine by the name of Trevor Cotter. Some people may not know who he is, but he's been around the shooting sports for a while and he's been involved in different things throughout his shooting career. We'll get into that later on. But Trevor, how you doing? I'm doing good, brother. Thank you for having me on. I'm Man, excited. you're so welcome, brother. It's one of those things where we, we've talked a little bit, you know, here and there, but, you know, I really don't know a lot about what you how you got started or anything else so when did you even get started with guns what did that look like so i grew up typical texas kid okay hunting fishing loved shooting loved guns um you know just always was around them and then went to the range with friends all the time and uh one day one of my buddies that i went to the range with all the time said dude we need to go try out this idpa deal okay and i'm like cool yeah it looks fun so we researched it all this you know showed up with uh the idpa match ended up getting canceled well the next weekend was a uspsa match mm -hmm. so i went to a uspsa match showed up with a walmart holster and three mags and a uh, HK VP nine set up to shoot production. I was signed up for production with three mags. Right. So real quick, they were like, all right, shoot limited. Right. Oh, but wow. Shot my first match. That was midway through 2018 mm -hmm. and loved it. I mean, the people, it was actually here where we currently are. Right. Um, it was out here in Odessa, in Odessa. Okay. So Billy was the match director and all the right. berries. Just a local match. Made. thing. Yeah, it was just a local match. So before then you made a comment about growing up in Texas. Did you do a lot of, a lot of farms with your parents or, or dad or anything? Oh yeah. So, uh, my dad and my stepdad, I mean, I was out of school every single weekend during hunting season. You know, we'd leave on Friday, leave early on Friday. We go hunting over the weekend be right. back on Tuesday, you know? So I did every bit of hunting I possibly could, uh, grew up shooting guns. Um, going to the range and right. it was just kind of a thing, you know, we enjoyed, that was how me and my dad bonded was hunting. Right. You know, um, and my stepdad too, I bonded with him hunting and fishing. So right. it was, it's been a big part of my life since I was a kid. I shot my first year at uh, four years old. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. So what was, that, was that in a, in a shooting house or out in the open or what did it look like? Uh, it was in a stand, Okay. you know, feeder hunting. It wasn't, you know, any stock hunting or open hunting like that. You know, right. it was four. They just wanted to get me a deer. Did they, uh, did you go through the process of uh, cleaning the deer at four years old or what that uh, look like? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, funny, I shot my first deer with the same rifle that my dad shot his first deer with and my grandpa shot his first deer with. Really? Yeah. What caliber so, was that? Uh, 222. Oh, wow. Yeah. So a, light, a lighter load. So that's yeah, not a big yeah, deal. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But, uh, but yeah, my dad, uh, my dad was real. Okay. Now you're gonna, you're gonna learn how to do this. So right. four years old, he's gutting the deer and letting me hold the knife and instructing me and all that. Right. And then wiping blood on my face and <laughs> all the stuff, you know, nice. didn't make me eat the raw heart. Thank right. God. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, 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 no. But did you, um, do a lot of sports in high school or anything? What'd that look like? I did. Uh, you know, I grew up playing sports. I grew up playing, uh, football, powerlifting, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in high school, I won, uh, multiple state championships in powerlifting. I, you know, I played football all through high school, ended up getting a scholarship to play football, uh, for university of Houston. Didn't go very far. Um, I was a good athlete. I ended up, uh, having a, 
um, issue, broke my leg, uh, getting ready for my freshman year. Really? Yeah. So, um, tibia, fibia, compound fracture, uh, torn calf muscle, uh, torn Achilles tendon, um, LCA or MCL and meniscus injury all at the same time. So leg was, leg was wrapped up for about 16 months. So that's kind of where the competition bug came from was back then. Yeah. You know, so I grew up a competitive athlete, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and then there was a point in my life where, you know, got done playing sports and then started working, you know, once I finished college, all right, full-time gig, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I found this and I like guns. I like competition. I I intended for it to be a hobby (laughs) initially, but I mean, with do you think all the shooting sports start off as a hobby? Do you think anybody just comes in directly as a as a sport, or you think it's always a hobby for everybody that comes in? What's your opinion about I that? I think everyone I've met, it started as a hobby. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, they, I mean, they'll transition from one sport, one shooting sport to another, meant for competition, right? But the right. first entry in the shooting sport, I think, starts as a hobby. Yeah. I really do. A good gentleman a long time ago told me this was like a hobby sport. You know, kind of yeah. use both a hobby lifestyle, hobby lifestyle sport. You know, kind of thing. So it's kind of cool, but I didn't know what you, you know, how that worked. So they did, you know, I see all over, you know, Instagram where you, you, you did golf and stuff that as well. Did you do that in high school as well? Or what that, you know, uh, against my dad's wishes, I didn't, okay. um, you know, I, so he wanted you to play golf. Yeah. Yeah. My dad wanted me to play golf and my dad's a, a big time golfer. He's been the head of the men's golf association of the local country club that we're both members at right. uh, now, uh, since I was six. So he's yeah, like, is so he, is he, um, my first word was golf, believe it or not. Okay. My very first word was golf. My dad's real proud of that. Um, <laughs> but I grew up playing golf from a very young age, but I did it just for fun. And I, I was pretty decent at it, but I mean, you get to high school and you know, you're going, you know, full of testosterone and I was mm-hmm. a big guy. I mean, I was strong, you know, I enjoyed lifting weights. I power lifted at the time. You know, you don't want to play golf. You want to hit people. Right. right? So my dad begged me to play golf instead of football. Right. I didn't listen. I probably should have. I probably wouldn't be. <laughs> I probably would be in a little bit better position. But I still play golf, though. I, I love it. I play golf at least once a week. I right. just find the time to do it. It's something I enjoy. I get out. I actually do it with my father a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's something me and him enjoy doing together. So once a week, me and him find some time, even if it's after work or something, I'll take off a couple hours early when my wife is not on her days off because she right. works still usually about seven or eight o'clock. Me and him will go out to, to the, to the golf course and play around together. Just have that father son time. Cool. Now you made a comment about, you know, powerlifting and, and fighting. Did you ever do any kind of professional fighting or, or, or junior fighting or anything? No, I boxed a lot growing up. Did so, you really? Yeah. So my stepdad was, my stepdad was real into boxing. Okay. Um, he is a fun, I mean, even he's obviously now no longer my stepdad, but we're still really close. Right. Um, that's good. He is still at the age of 64 in the gym every day. So he's a, boxing. he's a pugilist. He, yeah. Huh? He is a, he is a machine. Right. So when I was growing up, I never did it like competitively or anything, but right. he had, you know, he had a full gym set up in his warehouse cause he owned an AC company okay. and we would go over there after school and, uh, you know, we would go in there and train. And then once I got older, you know, me and my brothers and we'd spar and we just got real into boxing. And, uh, he's a, he was a coach, um, for, I mean, still is a coach. So he, he coaches at boxing studios still to this day. So we did a lot of that. So I learned boxing growing up at a young age, but I learned really, really fast. Like, yeah, I am 
decent enough to hold my own and look really, really good against mm-hmm. a normal person, but against a trained fighter. Did you ever bring you in the spar with anybody? I did. I did. <laughs> so, so, so growing up in that world, you know, I, once I got a little bit older, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, even into my twenties, I would go to boxing gyms and I, and I'd be good. And they'd be like, Hey, you want to spar this guy? You know, he's an amateur, but he's getting ready for X, Y, and Z. Y'all are same weight class. Y'all got you know, similar builds. You look like you're, you have a similar style to who he's going to fight. You want to come in and spar with him? I'm like, yeah, right. sure, dude. You know, I, fuck this guy up right i go in there and real real quick i'm like okay um this isn't your this isn't your gig right and once you get once you get beat up enough you're like okay (laughs) this is purely a hobby so now i just don't like getting punched in the face so if i do it now it's just purely for cardio so you get punched in the face a lot when you're doing that or punching the gut more how they take you how they take you out on that uh mostly in the face (laughs) yeah mostly in the face i I can take a punch pretty well though see i find that intriguing because i'm a huge boxing fan i love boxing dante wilder is from you know tuscaloosa i followed his career very closely he's coming back at some point but i've always Always followed boxing even before of that time. So when I when I hear somebody that's in the boxing world, that kind of gives me you know one of those things. Did you ever meet anybody that was an amateur that went on to do bigger and better things in the world? Deontay Wilder, really? So Deontay Wilder trains out of Houston. Okay. So Deontay Wilder, um, before he, I guess, rose to where he is. Yeah, now. he's in Tuscaloosa, just you know, delivering you know drinks. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. So. Um, I got to meet him a couple times at some local gyms. Very cool. Yeah, super nice. Now he's guy. a gun guy. Oh yeah, he's so, a gun guy. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a, a gun a, guy. Yeah. So I'm I'm working on some stuff, trying to you know I don't know him that well, but right. I know one of his really good friends is, is a friend of mine. So I'm trying to talk him into getting him into some coming out to the range and doing some. I probably won't go anywhere. You never know. Um, but and then uh, you know my cousin. So my cousin Charlton, he's uh, he he's the biggest boxing fan I've ever met. I mean, okay, uh, he's been to every single boxing match that's happening all over the u.s every single he's gone every weekend at some boxing event and he actually uh is a promoter also like he works with a couple of different fighters and stuff right so there's a lot of boxing love in my family Mm -hmm. so i've been to some fights with him got to meet some people um you know he uh he had a he, he's had a few fighters on his uh under him that are you know didn't really you know they're not super well-known names, but they're, you know, they're pros and they're pretty good. But right. Deontay Wilder is probably the biggest name I ever met. And that's then, so uh, cool. I got to see Floyd Mayweather walking with his posse in Vegas. That was really, cool. yeah, yeah, we, yeah. um, we were in me and Sherry were at an intercontinental in Atlanta one time. And all of a sudden we're out there waiting for our car, you know, to be pulled up. And, um, all of a sudden we see this big guy just come through the door and I was like, what in the world? And they, they were getting in their Hummers back then. Cause it was all the money. There's all the money train back then. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden this little guy walks out. And I was like going, so the gun. He's a lot smaller in person. He is really, really small in person, which I was surprised. Makes sense when nobody can, makes sense so nobody can hit him. I'm not telling him small. that to his face. No, heck no. But I was like shocked, you oh, know, yeah. cause I'm, I'm taller myself, just like you, but yeah, it's one of those things. That, it's like, that's, that's undefeated. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> I thought the same thing. So I got, I mean, this last shot show, you know, you meet Chuck Liddell and Tito yep. Ortiz and then, uh, uh, the shot show 2019, I think it was 2019. Uh, there was a big Conor McGregor fight happening at yep. the same time in Vegas. Well, we saw Conor McGregor walking through Caesars, me and Adam, and he, and he was like, that Conor McGregor? I'm like, no. And I look, I'm like, oh my God, it is. He's small <laughs> yeah. also. Yeah. I mean, he's a tiny guy. Yeah. He's a fighting machine. But that guy would kick your head off. So <laughs> I'm going to let him just be small and not know that I think he's small. So you got tired of getting punched in the face a lot. Did they, the family kind of, you know, make fun of you trying to get in there and get you stronger and toughen up a little bit, try to keep you in there. No, I was, uh, 
you know, I was, I guess the tougher one of the bunch. Okay. So, but there's, there's a big difference, man. There's a big difference oh. between a casual boxing fan that does it. And then an actual trained amateur who's chasing being a pro. I mean, right. you think about those guys, like, uh, they're, they're fighting 220 plus amateur fights before their pro debut. And mm. they're not fighting easy opponents. I mean, right. they're fighting dudes who are hungry, just like them. So those guys are, those guys are monsters. And you've seen that firsthand. So that's oh yeah. Cool. They're, they're animals. You get hit by. So, so if I were to walk out there and I would pick like a, a really big guy, okay. right. And I put a boxing glove on him and he, and I'd say, Hey, uh, hit Brian in the face. All right. Right. And he punches you. It's going to hurt. And then I'll go take a 165 pound well-trained boxer and tell him to hit you in the face. And it's going to feel about five times harder. <laughs> I mean, those guys hit every, every bit of their, their mechanics, the way that they deliver it through their hips and the way that they come on a straight axis, mm -hmm. everything about, they, they put their legs into it, their hips, their, their, their shoulder. It's all one big inertia blast right to your mouth. Right. And it hurts a lot. And wow. they do it really well, and I don't do it that good. So this was all. This was all, exactly. So this was all back in Houston, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now you moved to Odessa. Yeah. So I got in the oil field uh, out of college, and I moved out here in 2015. Explain that for a second, because when you say you get in the oil field, you know, I only have the reference to that from movies where you know where where they, they call it grease monkey, grease heads, whatever it's called. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've seen all the movies with all the, and it's like they didn't really have anywhere else to go do anything, so they went go to the oil field to make all the money. What was your what was your logic and you know motivation to get in the oil field so when i initially got into the oil field um my goal was i wanted to get into management okay so when i came into the oil field i came in as a crew supervisor because i had management experience growing up working for my dad's ac company you know some mm -hmm. other various businesses and then um, I was, uh, going through college for management and everything and, uh, international business sales. And, um, did you not ever want to take over your dad's business? Um, my dad, so my dad owns a construction company. He owns, okay. um, my, he owns a steel erection business and he's talked to me about it, mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, he has three other business partners. Oh, really? That changes so, a lot. So there's really nothing. Yeah. That makes I a mean, big difference. Those guys have been business partners. He had, they've been together for 42 years. Right. Right. So, um, I mean, when he goes at some point, I mean, I imagine it's going to go, I mean, his portion of the business is going to go to me and my brother. Right. I, unless it's written up as a right of survivorship. Cause yeah, yeah. who knows how that's done. Unless, yeah, you've, yeah. unless you've had those conversations. That's how my hunting property is. Last one living wins. <laughs> yeah. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. We don't want to, cause really? I don't want to do business with anybody else's family. I, I chose to do business with this individual. Yep. And if that individual, unfortunately is no longer here or mine, no longer here. I don't want anybody having to do business with Sherry or my son yeah. in the same way of doing business with their family. It's just like, no, don't want to get in that. Yeah. And so. honestly, it's a, it's not a, you know, it's not a, a major construction company. It's a small time. Okay. Uh, it's a small time steel erection business. They do, you know, like uh, stair rails and businesses mm -hmm. and stuff like that and framing. So it's not like, it's not like a multi, you know, million dollar construction company. Right. Where you go. So honestly, if that happens, it's going to be me and my brother go, okay, hey, buy out dad shares and right. move on. It's so you're always out in the oil field doing things or were you kind of behind the scenes white collar type of person no so my first uh my first four years in the oil field i was uh i was a uh, uh, superintendent so you're in the field working with the crews wow. so it was my first four years in the oil field i had 21 days off 
Right. Total. That's weekends, holidays, birthdays, everything. 21 days in four years. Is that an aggressive industry to be in with people? Very, very aggressive. I mean, we're working 80 to 110 hours a week Mm -hmm. on average, right? And high strung, obviously this environment is very hot. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's filled with testosterone. There's not a, nobody babies you. Right. You know what I mean? You go in, you do your job. If you got a problem with it, kick rocks. They'll find 10 other people to replace you. right? Right. So I did that. And then I got into management. Um, and then I was, um, I was the operations manager for North American land for, uh, terrible field services and then got headhunted by select to come in as uh, VP of sales. Okay. So then I was the VP of sales for select for a while. And what did that job look like when you're, when you're doing that kind of sales? Is it just stuff in the old, like, so it's water. So, so it's water transfer and water supply. So it's all, so, so the biggest part of the oil field that no one talks about that where the money is, is water. So to do anything in the oil field from start to finish, you have to have water. Okay. Water in the desert is hard to come by. Okay. Right. So if you have the water, you have the money. So, uh, a gallon of water is worth more than a, or a bar- a barrel of water is typically worth more than a barrel of oil. Right. Just to wow. Get an idea. Yeah. So um, water out here is huge. So that's the game I was in. That's that was a strategic. When I thought about getting in the oil field, I said, okay, where's the security? Where's the money? Mm-hmm. You can't do anything in the oil field without water. Even when the oil field drops, they still need water. They still have to keep certain things running. Right. They still need to um, work over rigs. Need water. Every type of service needs water. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got into water. Specifically, wow. um, I used to make a joke that I was an aquatic engineer to all my buddies, right? <laughs> like out of the water boy. But um, so my job when I was with Select was to build sales teams, um, specifically in water and infrastructure, and mm-hmm. then water sales. So we would go to different landowners all over. What basically what we would do is we would look at all of the permits pulled for oil wells mm-hmm. going for the next ten years and determine the different areas that they're going to be pulled, right? Because eventually they're going to have to complete those areas. They right. pulled the permit, they paid for the well, they're going to have to go do it eventually. We would approach those landowners, hey, we want to buy the rights to your water and pay you X amount per barrel. Once you secure that water, when that company comes in to drill on that property, they have to buy the water from you. Wow. Right? So you're basically forecasting a sales uh, a sales marketing structure way in advance, right? Mm-hmm. And if done properly, which I was very good at, um, you basically guarantee at least a 25% growth rate per year, which okay. is rare, right? So that was the structure of what I did. So then I went from there to Baker Hughes. Baker Hughes had a huge water firm. Um, they wanted me to come over there. Well, I went over there initially for that. And then they were having a lot of issues on the directional drilling side. Right. And they said, hey, we would love to have your management structure over here on the directional drilling side. Well, I knew nothing about directional drilling. But I knew a lot about managing. Right. So I said, sure. I went over there and learned directional drilling as quick as I could and took over that. And I did that up until uh, January of 2021. Right. So when the election was finalized. Yeah. And the reason I went down this path is because there are a lot of people that are, you know, don't understand why guys prices are so high and all of a sudden the oil and everything else. Cause we don't get the local knowledge from people that are in the industry to do, to do what we're doing. So based on your experience, based on what you've seen in the oil industry for what, seven plus years, uh, I was in oil and gas for just shy of 
nine years. Nine years. Okay. So yeah. based on what you've seen, you've seen some ups, ups and downs. Yeah. But based on what you see right now, do you, is everybody, you know, they, I know you're not in the industry anymore, but the people that you know, your friends, are they all working like crazy to get stuff done? Or are they, what does that look like in the oil industry? Now? I'm still involved in the industry. Okay. So I consult um, remotely for four different companies that mm-hmm. still operate in West Texas. Um, but purely on a consulting firm right. side. So I'm still very involved. I'm still, but as for, but you're asking as far as what does the forecast of the future look yeah, like? Yeah. I mean, do, do you see, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel based on your history or is it still too, too bleak? Uh, it's going to take about four to five years to recover from the damage that was done no in the last kidding. year and a half. Yeah. Wow. Um, when you turn that tap all the way off and you pull and you cancel billions of dollars worth of permits Mm -hmm. and basically tell all these companies, Hey, we're, we're cutting your throat Mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future. Um, turning that tap back on is not like just turning it on. I mean, they've got to go get more permits. They've got to wait for the permitting process. Then they've got to go now rebuy the equipment because most of it's been liquidated at this point or service the equipment, get it back online, get it out, hire employees, train employees, uh, staff, the rigs, staff, the, staff all the workover rigs, staff all the wireline rigs, staff all the coal tubing rigs. They've got to do all of that and they've got to get all that back in line and then they've got to complete the wells, right? So from start to finish, from the time they start a well, they go, here's oil to the time that they go, we're pumping oil out of the ground and getting it on trucks headed to uh, processing facilities. Uh, takes almost a full year. Wow. Per well, right? Mm -hmm. From the time they go, here's the oil, to the time they pump it because they've got to do geographical surveys. Then mm-hmm. they've got to pull core samples. Then they've got to drill a rat hole. Then they've got to go drill the horizontal. Then they've got to frack it. Then they've got to pump it down. Then they've got to uh, install the, the pump jack or any type of reciprocating um, uh, pump on the well. Right. Then they've got to tube everything in, pump it, fill the tank, ship it. I mean, that takes a long time per well, right? Now right. they do it in stages. So they go, here's a bunch of stuff. Rat hole, rat hole, rat hole, rat hole, rat hole. Okay, drill, 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 drill. Right. Frack, 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 frack. So there's, that's why you see 600 rigs in West Texas when it's moving fast because right. they need 600 rigs to pick that demand back up. Right. So, in that situation, it's pretty, it seems like a pretty dangerous job it could be. Did you ever get hurt or anything on the job? Uh, yeah, a couple times. Really? Yeah, yeah, a couple times. Um, yeah, quite, quite often. Really? Uh, it's not... Uh, it is dangerous, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you're working with water. Um, pressure is a is dangerous, you know. When we're dealing with um, 150 psi on a 14 mile line, right? It's 100 pounds per square inch times 14 miles is how much pressure is actually pressured up in that line. It's mm-hmm. an astronomical amount of pressure, I and mean, when that goes bang, right? Uh, it's earth shattering. Wow. So um, I've had, you know. Some some broken fingers, uh, bruised ribs, broken ribs. Uh, I actually hit my face on a skitzer bucket, knocked out some teeth. Obviously, broke my jaw in a couple places. Did you really? Still in the process of getting that fixed. Really? Uh, yeah, that was a couple. Of, that was years ago. But, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. Um, but I've seen a lot worse. I watched uh, the. You know, I've watched some unfortunate accidents on these rigs. I watched a 19 year old kid. When I was in Ohio, he was the he was the the sand coordinator, so he backs all the sand trucks into the frack rigs, and it was snowing real hard, right? So he's got his, you know, big we call them lightsabers, but um, he's backing in this truck, and he didn't know what was clear on one side, so 
he made the stop motion to the driver and then went to go check to the other side while the driver's foot slipped off the brake and smashed them between us, sand king. Oh. So uh, that was gnarly. And then I've seen some people lose some appendages on rigs. Uh, watch a guy, you know, lose his arm on a rig. I mean, it's intense. Right. You know, but it's not... It's not an everyday occurrence. I was when you're in it for a long time, stuff happens. You know, you're working, you're tired, man. You're working for right. 100 hours a week. You know, sometimes more than that. I mean, I think the longest week I ever have was 151 hours. Right. The entire week. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, we sleep in an hour. I mean, we did a 72 hour shift straight thawing a line out in Ohio one time because we were late on a frack. So I mean, when you get to a point where you're starting to hallucinate and you're just not, in a, you're not in a safe mindset. Right. And, Stuff like this happens where you trip on a hose that's directly in front of you and you hit your face on a skitzer bucket. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so that happened when you were kind of a little bit out or like tired? Yeah, yeah. I think we were 49 hours into a shift when that happened. Wow. Yeah. So it it gets intense, man. Marco knows better than anybody. I mean, you know, he owned Motley Energy Services for a long time. He started working, working in the oil field before he owned his own business. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he can, I'm sure he's, he's told me some stories. He's had some pretty gnarly injuries on those things too. Well, now is this a situation where you were, um, is that when you met Marco Davis was through the oil industry? No. So, well, I'd run into him a few times. Yes. So, um, a lot of my customers were also his customers, XTO being the biggest one. Right. So, Uh, one of his best customers was XTO and one of my best customers was XTO. So we would go to these meetings and we would talk to each other and like knew each other. Well, then like we weren't like friends or anything. We were mm-hmm. just two competing companies working side by side. Not really competitors. He's a totally separate service, but we're fighting for the same customer. Right. Right. Uh, and then once I started shooting, I met him on my first my first match. I met Marco and, and he recognized me. I recognized him. I was like, oh, shoot, you know, what are you doing well, here? Well, cool. Let's take a quick commercial break. This one of our sponsors and we'll get right into the shooting portion of it. This week's podcast is brought to you by Kana Gold. Kana Gold is a premier lifestyle brand for those who work hard and play harder. There are many hemp companies out there that get lost in the crowd, but Kana Gold sets the gold standard with its premier line of products. When traveling all around with a magical mystery tour to different matches, I travel around with lots of different flavors, including pink grapefruit, candy apple, and vanilla cherry. Make sure to stop by and get some for yourself. They are all zero calories, zero sugar, use organic hemp, and are THC and CBD free. Competitive shooters love them because there's no shakes, no headaches, and no crash. When you order from conagoldhemp.com, make sure to use discount code HUNTERSHD for another 20% off. So, shooting, mm-hmm. getting back into it, you know, for competitive or hobby side, like you talked about it before. When you first went to your match and you said you saw Marco, mm-hmm. well, tell me about your very first match. Man, I showed up to my first match nervous as all hell. And the only reason I think I was as nervous is because my buddy I was supposed to be going with on the way there got called into work. So we're following each other and he he breaks off. So I'm going solo now, right? Don't know anybody. Like, what am I getting myself into? Show up, meet everybody. They were amazing. Right. They were, hey, you're a new shooter. Let's, you know, let's go. Billy pulled me aside, explained everything that I needed to know, right? And then everybody was so friendly, so nice. I mean, I shot with the berries and and everybody. 
and it just seemed like one big family. Okay. Right. And they helped me through the whole match. I mean, they, they gave me pointers and tips and like safety instruction and really made it fun. You know, okay. it was, it was laughter, joking, humor, but also just a really good time here in Odessa at 102 degrees. What, what time of year was this? Uh, it was about, uh, it was about this time of year. Oh, Maybe I, it was a little bit later. How was no, that fun? <laughs> well, I was used to it. Yeah. Used point. to the heat. You know, yeah. Living out here. So, yeah. uh, but it was, it was, I was hooked from jump street. Really? Two two stages in, I was like, oh, this is my new hobby. Okay. Like, this is what I want to do for fun. What hobby were you doing before then, right before then? Golf. Golf still. Yeah, just golf. Okay. That was my outlet, you know? Uh, okay. I just golfed and... So that was pretty much it. Went golf and then as soon as the shooting sports came in, it was on. Oh, yeah. I was like, this is fun. I'm doing this every weekend. Uh, I'm in. Nice. I'm, I'm all for it. And what was the relationship with Marco? How did that, you know, entertain itself, getting started and seeing him... Of somebody you saw in the in the in the offices of the Orfield before. Oh man, it was it was like two old shoes, man. Just right. fit right. You know, we're buddies. We got along great. You know, he's of a similar mindset as me. Uh, we hit it off, and then he was still pretty new into the shooting sports too. Okay. So I think he had been doing it for less than a year at that point. So we kind of learned together. Um, really enjoyed it together. I mean, we went to all of our matches together. We went to our first majors together. I mean, mm -hmm. we we trained together. You know, it was, it was really nice, but how did you feel you were welcomed oh, into the shooting world right away? Like, okay. like fast friends Okay. from the second I showed up, it was so good to meet you. Thank you for coming. We're going to have a good time. Listen, mm -hmm. we're going to go over some, some brief safety things, right. but we're main thing is we're here to have fun. Right? right. So, and they were so nice and so helpful and so welcoming and right. There wasn't this awkward, like this new guy's here. We're just mm -hmm. going to keep clicking up in our own thing. They, they pulled me in really, really fast. Right. And I attribute my, if I didn't have that, I, I don't know how it would have been. Right. I probably would have still enjoyed the sport and still got into it, but I right. wouldn't have been just instantly hooked. Do you, and this is back in 18. Yep. Okay. So do you think it's still like that for people coming into shooting sports today? Do you, do you see that? Or you have to take the responsibility to, to do it yourself if you get an opportunity or what do you think that looks like? Cause everybody's, when I learn when, when people come in, you see when, when the, when the new people come in, it's great to see, but then, you know, it's like what another gentleman told me before, you know, the shooting sports is like high school. It is. It, it takes a lot for, people to get to know you before they want to bring you in their click mm -hmm. good bad and different that's what we really that's what i see a lot now more than ever so do you do you think there's a you know a, a problem there or something that can be done differently or do you think it is a problem or i, I just see in one side of it yeah <clears throat> so i see it a lot right because obviously i spent a long time out here and that was not the case out here but that's only because the culture built out here by billy marco uh teak Charlie, Kim Barry, all the people out here rolling, everyone mm -hmm. who runs these matches, that's not like if you do that, they're they're real quick to turn it around. Okay. You know, if you try to get clicky and rude to the new guy, like right. they'll quickly come up and chew your butt. Like we're here to grow the sport. Right. So growing so coming into the sport in that environment and growing in the sport in that environment until recently, when I went to Houston, there's so much activity out there. I mean, you can mm -hmm. shoot four matches a week and right. not see and never see the same people. Right. Right. Uh it's the exact opposite. It's real clicky. It's real like new guy. Even if you're not a new shooter, like I'm not a new shooter, right. obviously, but I'm a new person to them. I come in, nobody says hi. 
Right. And then you go to some ranges and it's the exact opposite. It's like it is here. Right. I think that some clubs are that way and some clubs aren't. But I think everyone should be that way. Our main goal needs to be to grow this sport. Mm-hmm. And if you make new people feel uncomfortable, nobody wants to be in uncomfortable situations. No matter how cool the sport is, they're, if you make it an uncomfortable first experience, they're not going to come back. Talking to a lot of people, a lot of people seem to think that club culture is a bigger problem than, you know, everything else that's going on in the news constantly, because I, I think it's the number one problem, you know, uh, just what, what's your reason why you think that is, you think they're intimidated by new people coming in. What do you, what do you think that is? What's your opinion about that? I think that people find comfort in lack of change. Okay. I think that they get in these routines where they've got their buddies, they've got their range, their match. Right. And anytime somebody comes in and they, uh, try to encroach on that, right? Changing mm-hmm. something in their routine. People are real resistant to change in routine, even at a, even on a, just a, an underlying psychological level. All right. So naturally, most people want to push away change. Okay. Right. I think that has a lot to do with it. But I think new shooters coming in, you should, every single person in this sport who's established in this sport or a competitor or a hobbyist or whatever, if you've been in this sport, if a new person comes in, you need to be doing everything possible to make sure that that person has a good experience because right. that person, that person's imperative to grow in the sport. Without the new people, the sport dies. Right. Right. And I mean, all of us were new at one point. Right. So you want to treat that person how you hoped you would have been treated when you came into the sport. Right. Right. When when was your turning point for this is not a hobby anymore. This is fixing to be my sport. Uh, after my first nationals, the that that had been done in frostproof. Yeah, I was in at, frostproof. At nine days of nationals. Yeah, I was the nine days of nationals. Okay. I had no business being there. I was a. Uh, I was a. Uh, let's pause there. For not a that I had no business. No, no, being no. There. That's that's a great statement because there is a lot of you know different thoughts out there that nationals should be held. For for the people that all the slots go to people that have won this and won this, and if 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 the other, if other class shooters didn't get in based on how they won, then so be it. So when you say you know you experienced your first nationals mm-hmm. and you As, were, it was still a hobby, oh, it was a hundred percent a hobby. Okay. okay, I so the the berries, all the people here, Dave, uh, you know Marco and all them talked mm-hmm. me into it. They okay. said, hey, we're going, you're gonna love it. Okay, like just come, and I said, okay, I signed up. We all squatted together. JJ mm-hmm. shot with us. Right. I mean, we had a blast. Right. And I mean, I was shot so horribly. Right. But right. but I'm a new shooter. I mean, I've only been shooting for a couple months at that mm-hmm. point. Right. You think new shooters definitely need to have their spot in nationals and, and be a part of that? Yes. I think that there should there. It needs to be, I think, like a, a 50-50 or 60-40 split. Right. Okay. There has to be a portion that goes to uh, performance-based awarding for slots, not give slots to section coordinators and let them distribute it to their buddies. If people work hard and they win matches and they prove that they're a good shooter, they should get awarded a slot at nationals, not a free slot, a paid slot, but like you're guaranteed your slot. Right. Right, And then the other portion of that has to go to people because people like me who are new, but dude, my first nationals, it was like, Oh my gosh, this is huge, crazy, awesome. You know, it was big lights, flashy lights, had so much fun and it hooked me. And right then, even though I did poorly, right. 
I was hooked. I said, okay, I'm going to get good at this because I want to come here and I want to win this thing. Right. Right. I saw, I saw JJ almost sweep the nine days of nationals right. and thought, I want to be that. Okay. I want to achieve that because my competitive football career is over. My competitive powerlifting career is over. Mm -hmm. I'm too old to go play on the PGA tour. Right? right. I need some kind of sport. This is a sport that I can start in my mid twenties right. and be competitive in at some point before I'm too old to do it. What was your record in powerlifting? Uh, as far as my total lift record. Yeah. Um, so my, so I didn't talk about that earlier. I just hit me. I don't want to ask. How yeah. Much, yeah. But what can you power lift? Uh, so when Back I, then. so when I was at my peak, my senior year, I was, uh, lifting in the 225 class, Okay. um, which is considered somewhat heavyweight, right? right? Um, suited and unsuited, I'll go suited and unsuited. So your raw lifts, which is no suiting assistant devices. Right. Uh, my best raw bench, uh, was, we lifted in kilograms, but um, weight wise for uh, pounds was about 422. Wow. Uh, unsuited, suited around 455. Wow. And then squat was uh, suited. My best suited squat was 605, and my best unsuited squat was 585. And wow. then deadlift, I pulled 685 unsuited. I never deadlifted suited all the muscle that you built up and all the squatting and stuff you did is that helped or harmed your shooting for movement and everything else oh it helped okay yeah i think um i think my football background helped a lot more my okay. agility and in and everything that i built up um playing football for all those years that and i was a i was a i was a good football player right uh, i was a much better football player than i was anything else um but the powerlifting definitely helped for stability, right? In the ability, in the explosion. But also when I found shooting sports, obviously I'd been out of powerlifting for a while. I'd been right. working a job, getting fat, you know, married, all that, right. you know? So it's not like I was in phenomenal shape at the point when I started shooting. But now that I'm getting back, now that I'm working out hard and taking my fitness seriously again, right. it's helping my shooting tremendously. That's so cool. Um, nine days of nationals. Did you have a Team Motley shirt on back oh, yeah. then? Is that when you went as Team Motley back oh, when yeah. you got started? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Sweet. Team Motley was in, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Do you, um, after the Nationals was over mm -hmm. and you, you come back to, you know, you know, your range, you know, Odessa and everything else. What is, what's the conversation like between Billy and, and Marco and everybody, you know, is it, were they, they, they've been around for a while. Were, were they happy with nationals? Can you remember? Is it just something you were, you were, you were, you were, you weren't in really the soup yet of the, of, no, yeah, of, of everything was, going that was going on. So, so new. Yeah. yeah. So fresh. Um, they, I mean, we all had fun. Cool. What gun were you using? Uh, at that time I was shooting an STI edge. Okay. 2011. All right. I bought it a week before nationals. Did you really shoot limited competitively? Just bought one or two. Uh, just one. So you only had one guy. Yeah, yeah. I had my so my I was shooting a Canic leading up to that. Okay. Um, in limited minor, right? Twenty one rounds, whatever. Just having fun, right? And then uh, leading into nationals, I was like, well, if I'm going to go, I want to be competitive, and to be competitive in limited, I, you know, you got to have a 2011 shooting 40 caliber. You got to have all this stuff. So I bought right. it all like a week beforehand, right? And uh, and I had fun, man. Had so time. that kicked everything off from being a hobby to a sport. The next year, how many matches did you go to? 
in 2019, what'd that look like? 2019, I shot 21 majors. Good grief. 21 majors. I shot over 98,000 rounds, wasted about 90,000 of them because <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing in practice. I was right. just burning rounds to burn rounds, right? right? Hardly dry firing, just didn't know much, right? And uh, I shot a lot. When did the training start happening with other shooters? What that look like? Into 2019, going into 2020, I took uh, I took a Charlie Perez class. And that changed everything. And then I okay. took a JJ class and that changed even more. And then right. I took another JJ class and that changed even more. Well, then, like a golf swing. Yes. You can learn a lot of bad habits, but you can still knock the heck out of a ball. It's just your habits. And oh, you yeah. Get into it. You know, what did it look like having to overcome habits you'd already made for a year and a half and had to break those? Uh, I still am breaking them. Okay. Yeah. I So, so two, two or right after Texas Open. Okay. Um, I got done with Texas Open and there were some serious holes in my game. And Charlie Perez um, graciously called me and said, can you be on a plane Friday and be here and then spend the weekend training with me? And I said, probably. And he said, great. Um, there's a big problem in your shooting and I want to fix it. How does that make you feel being a situation that's very strong willed? Based on what I know about you, did you had to think about that for a little bit, thinking you don't have a problem, or you went right, right into it humble? No, no, I'm so I learned at a very young age that you never are going to know everything, okay. and you always, always have to take any information as help, right? Good or bad or indifferent, okay. whether it be positive or negative reinforcement. Not, I, I am a real big on. I don't take things personal. Like, yeah, I'm strong-willed, but you're not going to hurt my feelings. Okay. And if you say something, I'm going to give it the evaluation necessary to determine whether it's good or bad information, right? right? I'm going to at least give you that opportunity. So when he called me and said, hey, there's a hole in your game and I can fix it. Immediately, I, w I said, I'm booking a flight. Right. Great. Because he's a legend in this sport. Right. And he's honestly, in my opinion, one of the best instructors the sport has. And he's a great ambassador for the sport. And I knew right away if he says, hey, this there's a problem, I can fix it. Trust the guy. He can fix it. Right. So I hopped on a plane that Friday. I went down and he said, OK, you as a shooter, we're going to ball that up and throw it in the trash. Okay. And I went, wait, what? <laughs> he said, we are starting fresh. Forget everything, you know. Right. And we spent two days and like all the rounds in pretty cold weather, like 40 degrees, 29 with the wind chill, which I so hate. Fun. No, it was miserable. <laughs> it was, it was a miserable experience, but much needed. Right. But we went over top to bottom. Everything's new. Right. All the way down to grip, um, side alignment, trigger control, um, transitioning skills, shot calling, foot positioning, entries, exits, movement, how my body's positioned, the angle my back is when I'm moving. You see a lot of shooters when they're shooting on the move, they're squatted real low and they're real forward. Mm -hmm. Well, you lose all the stability in your shoulders. Your shoulders are are weaker the higher that axis is. The high, how can you, if you were to hold a weight like this, right? Mm -hmm. You can hold it a whole lot longer than if you were trying to hold it like this, all right? Right, And you'd be more, everything, how my feet move when I'm, we stripped me down bare. How'd that make you feel? Uh, it was, I mean, anyone with an ego goes, holy crap. Right. You know, but 
it uh at first it was a sh- it was a little bit of a shell shock okay and then once i saw the silver lining we also took my thumb rest off my open guns he said those things are stupid take it off and i said why and he showed me why and he's right they are dumb <laughs> and took that i mean everything about my my draw it was nuts my right. reload don't even get me started right but i looked at it and by the time he had showed me everything i was like in my head i'm thinking there's surely not every part of my game was this bad right but i paid attention and by the end of it i went okay this juice is worth the squeeze he's very on to something right and then we pounded that into my head via thousands of rounds and like 17 hours on the range right and then he said okay great sayonara you've got two weeks before dragon's cup go apply what i learned Mm -hmm. and i shot probably the best match this weekend that i've shot since i've started shooting wow 100 percent clean no penalties at a match like this is very mm-hmm. hard to do right. while still maintaining the amount of speed that i did but the beautiful part of that is he was very he was very very big on when you go to this match do not turn that dial to 10 keep that dial at six you need to shoot controlled concise good points do not get in a rush do right. not try to don't see guys burning down a stage and think i gotta do that no you shoot as fast as you can see your dot and you Mm -hmm. move with you move with precision and focus on all the skills don't push just shoot right don't look at scores don't pay attention to what anyone's doing nothing all i was doing was shooting looking at my hits hearing my time and approving the tablet i wasn't looking at my hit factor or anybody else's by the end of it best match i've shot probably in my shooting career wow yeah, and and if it's good enough to to be somewhere up in the top ten, mm-hmm. awesome. But the beautiful part of that is I've only been applying this for two weeks. Right. So we're and I called him after the match, and he said, "Great, now we have a baseline. Now you can build on that and add those new gears of speed while maintaining that same level of precision." Right. And by the time nationals comes around, I should be where I want to be. Okay. Which is top five. Okay. Very cool. The situation where i think we met in 2018 19 sometime 2019. and we you know, and yeah that's right henry's cup met a lot of people there for the first time which was really cool but what did it feel like you know what what where did you go when it started coming to get your first sponsors of the farm you know what, what did that look like uh my first firearm sponsor was bad dog customs yep uh local gun builder colt wilkinson yep. great guy builds great guns uh i hit him up to build me a gun shortly after i had that sti okay um I wanted a custom gun. I wanted one with my name on it because I'm bougie like that. Right. Uh, so he built me a limited gun. And when he built me a limited gun, he was nice enough to do it at cost. If I put his stuff on my jersey, that was my first like sponsor. Right? Nice. And um, sold some guns for him along the way, busted my butt, and then got in with Atlas wow. shortly thereafter. You know, uh, just worked hard, you know, put myself out there. Was Atlas... The first on your list, or was there other gun manufacturers you wanted to shoot for? So many people shoot for, you know, Infinity. They, you know, there's EGW. There's so many great different fantastic you know, like high back in the yeah. day it was out there everywhere so was you know was was when atlas came out was it like oh that was my goal or just kind of like wait a minute what is this what did it look like so i wanted an atlas so the reason i met atlas and the reason they sponsored me originally is i i hit them up to build me a gun okay and the reason behind that was everybody here was shooting atlases marco was shooting atlases blake was shooting atlases 
everyone here had atlases, mm -hmm. right? So I shot all theirs and I loved it. Okay. Right? There were also infinities and something else, but something right. about the atlases attracted me. They just fit me for right. some reason, right? I love the other, don't get me wrong. Eddie Garcia, uh, Brandon, yeah. they build amazing guns. I mean, pop bar none, awesome yeah. guns, right? But I liked Atlas's. I also liked Adam. That was a big part of it. Adam as the owner of Atlas. I knew what drew you to Adam. So here's the thing. When I looked at buying a gun, I called them. Okay. Adam answers the phone. I said, Hey, I'm thinking about buying one of your guns that turned into an hour and a half conversation. Okay. He stayed on the phone with me and walked me through every part of it. And by the end of it, I knew exactly what I wanted, exactly how I, how I wanted it. And a whole lot more about the 2011 than I knew in the beginning. Right. right? And he, I, I was full of questions and he stayed on the phone and answered all of them. And he was really nice, real concise and, 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 uh, analytical about everything he talked about mm -hmm. and just, just a pleasure to talk with. Right. Right. So then I'd hit him up originally to build a gun. Well, when my gun was done being built, they said, Hey, why don't you just shoot for us? Right. And I was like, what? Okay, right. cool. Right. But I was just drawn to the culture, you know, and, you know, and I'm not saying that they do anything better than anybody else, mm -hmm. but I like the people. I like the product. I believe in it. I bought one first before I started shooting for them. Right. right. So I believed in the product. So then when they approached me to shoot for them, I said, yeah, it's a great fit. I was going to shoot it anyway. Right. So why not do it for you guys? So I'm real big on, I, I won't, I don't have a single sponsor that I didn't use prior to accept, including you. Correct. I mean, I used your glasses before I started shooting for you, right? right. Every single sponsor that I, I do not want to put my, my name and my energy behind something I don't fully believe in. Cause right. it's not only not fair to me, it's not fair to the person that I'm representing. If right. I'm not wholeheartedly in into your product, I'm not going to give it everything I have. Right. Right. And that's not fair to not only me, but not fair to the sponsor. Right. So I believe in the product, same as I believe in your product. You have the best shooting lenses on the planet, bar none, not even an argument. I appreciate it. Right. Yep. Now you were known in the shooting sports. You know, people knew who you were in mm -hmm. the, in the, in the, I won't say clicks, but in the regions that you shot in, you were known all through area four. Cause you know, you did a lot with area four and like that. And then all of a sudden at low cap nationals, yep. everything happened. Mm -hmm. And it could be arguably said that that put your name out there for everyone to know who you are. Oh yeah. What did that initially make you feel like? Uh, it was, uh, it was hard. Okay. It was unfortunate. I didn't want that. To go down that way. Well, there's, there's, uh, you know, something that, you know, we've never spoke about again, but we'll do it now because I remember when the situation was there, mm -hmm. it happened. I was there, of course. And when I walked away, I was walking with you. Yep. And we were talking and I said, Trevor, this is bad. Mm -hmm. I said, I think this just needs to go away. This is, we don't need to talk about this. This is horrible. This is just really, can, can we, can we just make this go away? Yep. You're like, sure. Whatever we need to do. I said, I don't, I don't, this is not good for the sport. This is not good for anything. I didn't know, you know, the tensions were just way higher than they should have been. Oh yeah. I and, agree. And I, and I went and, I, and you're like, cool, done. Never happened. Yep. And then I went back to my tent and I was a straw, very, very messed up in the head because I felt responsible in some ways based on how things went down. I didn't know that, you know, you weren't responsible for animosity was so high in that situation. I didn't either. And I, and I called, <laughs> I, you know, a lot of people don't know this. I've never told this before. I called Sherry mm -hmm. 
And I said, I have just witnessed something that was not cool, but I just took one of the people who it happened with it. And I, and I told him, I said, this needs to go away. She goes, who are you to say that? I said, what do you mean? She goes, who are you to say that somebody can't talk about this? I'm like, well, nobody. It's just it's such a bad situation. We both agree that it just needs to go away. Oh, yeah. She's like, Brian, you don't, I don't know who gave you that power, but th that's not yours to take from anybody. You're, you're, you're the biggest freedom of speech two-way two gun guy there is. That's not right. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm getting chewed out by Sherry for something. I thought I was just trying to help, you know, the org and everything else just by like going, okay, this is, a, this is an incident. This is just something that, you know, no big deal. And I didn't, I didn't think, you know, I didn't know the history of everything that was going on. And that's when I called you back over and I said, I said, I want to apologize to you. Yep. And I said, Trevor, I apologize telling you this needs to go away as a sponsor, you know, cause that's kind of the, 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 the weight I threw around at that point. And it was like, going, this just needs to go away. This is not good for anybody. Yeah. And, and I came back to him and I said, Trevor, I need to apologize to you because, um, I don't, it's not for me to say what's right or wrong in the situation. So you do what you feel you need to do. And I'm, you know, I'll support you hundred percent. If you, if this goes away, I'll support you. If this doesn't go away, I'll support you. Yeah. So, and that's Which pretty I much it. And that's, and that's how we, you know, left the day and that's how everything got started. But it was, um, it was real, but you went into somebody that may have known Trevor in, in the area four and some of area six, but your name went everywhere yeah unfortunately like completely like not how i wanted everywhere. it to no i would prefer to have that to happen because of my shooting not because of a temper tantrum somebody right. through right you know but what did that do for your shooting what did that do for your psyche what did what did you go through because we talked to him before about your past you you used to be a boxer yeah you used to be a lot of you know high-end stuff where tensions are high mm -hmm. and you didn't care who cares in the wind about, you know, I'll, I'm, I'll take you out. This is how we did it in the oil field. And it's not going to be here, but you controlled your temper. Mm -hmm. What was it like after that for you personally to go through this entire ordeal when it first started? Uh, you know, it was, you know, first off, right when it happened, right when the, the incident was starting, I knew right away that the best thing to do was just be calm. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause there's already one uncalm person, two uncalm person, two uncalm people don't make for a good situation. Right. So remain calm, watch what you say, try to get out of this situation as quick as possible. Right. Try to maybe just leave. Right. right. And it was a quick altercation. I mean, it happened in a matter oh, of 30 seconds. Yeah, you know, yeah, but, Jake, Jake got involved when, when both sides started getting louder is when Jake got involved. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Broke and, it up yeah. Jake quickly was like, okay, hey, man. You, you go know. this way. You go this yeah, way. You go this way. You go that way. Whatever. <laughs> um, but it was tough, man. You know, um, there was a lot of there was a lot of negativity, you know, a lot of negativity. And it made that season rough. Okay. I had a I had a pretty bad season. You know, and to be honest, it was a lot of uh, just lack of motivation. You take something that you just love so, so, so much. Mm -hmm. And then that negative, uh, that negative aura gets tossed on it. Kind of get to see behind the curtain. Yeah, man, it really sucked. You know, I, I went to matches and I had people say, hey, man, you know, we stand with you. You know, you did nothing wrong, blah, blah. And, and there then, was also the other opinion as well. There was also the other opinion of, 
hey, you're an enabler, you're everything Mike said was true, blah, blah, blah. But these people don't know me. They never heard of me until this incident. Right. right? I wasn't, I mean, I was nobody. Right. You know, I knew my people in Area 4, but not all these people who are sending me DMs and emails and stuff. How did you handle that conversation with your wife when everything got public? Uh, what that conversation look like? Because that was, can't be easy. It was very uncomfortable. It was an uncomfortable situation. My wife, first off, said, honey, I'm proud of you um, because you kept your cool. Um, but I would advise that you just let the organization handle it and stay out of it, which was exactly what I did. Did you ever think about getting out of shooting? A little bit. Did I you really? About, yeah, yeah. I thought about it. Right when it happened, uh, no. But like a month later, when everything was happening and, you know, I'm getting... Uh, you know, 40 to 60 DMs on all my social medias, including my wife's um, of, you know, insulting things and some, you know, threatening emails really? and stuff. It, it really, I was like, man, is this juice worth the squeeze? Mm-hmm. You know, I thought about, I don't really need this. And then, then my wife was like, bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, my wife. Cause I told her, I was like, should I just stop? You know? It cost a bunch of money, and I started looking at the negative parts of it. Did you get to a point where that made it where it wasn't fun anymore? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, especially the first couple of matches afterward, you know, because I just wanted it to go away, you know, which is why I let the organization handle it. I stayed out of it. Right. It was not my business. You know, I gave, they asked me what happened. Mm-hmm. I said, this, this was my, from my view, this is what happened. This mm-hmm. is a word for word line of what happened, which that email got leaked as well. That was unintentional, obviously. I did not want that to get out. What did you think when it got out? Uh, I was frustrated. Very, 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 very frustrated. But um, I knew it would. I wasn't like... Uh, why, why would you have to say you knew it would? I mean, we, you trust in your area director. I trusted my area director, you but trusted everyone other, had that email. Well, and, you know, but the, we, we, should, we should all trust our area director. I trusted my area director and the other area director I shared it directly to, but once mm-hmm. everyone in the organization had their hands on it, because everyone did have their hands on it, I knew what was going to happen. Right. And I wasn't tripping about it, you know? And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Because mm-hmm. you act, did you actually seek legal counsel as well? Oh, immediately. Okay. Yeah. Right as, right when I heard from the organization that it was that like, Hey, we're going to pursue this. That was the first thing I did was I have a lawyer. I have a lawyer on retainer 24 seven, right. just because of my, my business, um, in my personal life. Right. How do you explain that to an attorney? <laughs> what, I, that, what that conversation looked like? Uh, I said, Hey man, this happened. What do you think? And he said, well, that sucks, but <laughs> there's nothing that can happen to you. Right. Right. You did nothing wrong. Right. Right. You told a guy to F off. Okay. Right. That's about it. Right. At the very end, after you've been belittled and and humiliated in front of all your peers and competitors, Mm -hmm. nobody's going to get mad at you for that. Right. And I said, okay, what about you think there's going to be any legal repercussions? My attorney said, LOL, I wish he would. Right. So, you know. When you started getting threats, did it become like, oh, this is real? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right away. I was kind of nervous to go to the next match. Wow. Because I don't, I mean, I don't want any physical confrontation, man. You know, I'm here to have fun. Right. Everyone knows me. I like, if you shoot with me, you know, I'm here to have a good time. Right. I'm going to be cracking jokes 24 seven. I want everybody to have a good time. I want it to be fun. I don't want, this is fun. This shouldn't be 
like a seriously like stressful situation we're in and we're here to have fun. 90% mm-hmm. of the 99% of the people doing this, it's their getaway. Right. Right. Including me. It's my getaway. I have enough stress in my life. This is where I need stress. So right. first couple of matches afterward, I was like, come on, you know, right. it was very stressful And there. And I got a lot of people come up and were very, very supportive and loving and like really, really cool. Like, 99% of it was supportive, which okay. I was, which was the only reason I was like, okay, like I'm back. Mm-hmm. Right. Like after the first couple matches afterward, after like the few months, like that really, mo- the amount of loving and support and right. overwhelming, like sincere, like, Hey, we're here for you. Right. Just flip that switch right back on. Like, Nope, this is a sport I love. Never leave them. You, and you didn't fade back off into the shadows. Nope. You took this, advantage of a voice not advantage that's the right word but you took this opportunity with your voice to be very outspoken Mm -hmm. against the process the area directors and everything that's happened with uspsa do you think you took the right path of that or you think there's some things you wish you would have handled differently when you first got started uh like the uh, the podcast and stuff right Oh, and I was a little rough on them in the beginning. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know quite what those guys go through. Right. I had no idea. Right. You know, now I know all of them, right? And that's the thing about it, right? You do a podcast and I do it live. I right. edited, right? So whatever I say, I can't take back. Right. Once once it comes out of my mouth, it's there. I don't have time to think about it or edit it out, which right. is why I do my podcast the way I do it, right? Right. I like your podcast, but yeah, yeah, that. yeah. I love yours. <laughs> I'll jump on there once in a while to hang out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Sherry's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "Trevor's on." She's like, "Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 right." Uh, but I was, I was, uh, it's just a little bit of uneducation. Okay, not knowing what they deal with. Okay, they deal with stuff that I would never want to deal with. Right. Okay. I, want, I don't want to do that job. I right. wouldn't do that job. Right. right. Um, so I have a lot more respect for them now than I did at the time. Um, those guys are imperative. Now I'm not saying they're all perfect. Right. Right. And I'm not saying they all do everything that we should be doing. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is they are you starting to see the process more, a whole lot more. Okay. Yeah, a whole lot. Cause more. it is a process. Yeah. Cause here's the awesome part about that. Right. When I started doing the podcast and I started saying these things, it, they immediately reached out not only them, but other people in the organization like, Hey man, uh, I know it looks like that, but check out X, Y, and Z perspective. Right. And again, I'm the type of person I'm going to look at your perspective and give it the give it the old college try of understanding it. Right. Right. So once I started hearing from their point of view of what they're dealing with, I went, "Ooh, okay." Now I understand the thought process behind those those decisions. Okay. And it really, uh, you know, that's why now, like I still, you know, the social media. For the for USPSA and stuff, I think improve, and you know, there's rule changes that I think should happen, and some other. But but right. I mean, I'm not gonna rip on any area director or anyone like that, you know, because those guys are doing the best that they can, right? You know, but and and they have a tough spot. They're in a tough spot, you know. They, right. they always have to think about if I make this move, what's what's the possible repercussion, right. not only for myself but for the organization, right? But you are. Shooting now, you're very active in shooting. Do you see yourself one day as you get older to be the next generation of people to help with USPSA? Oh, 100%. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I'm being a little selfish. Oh, no, I get it. I, yeah. Because this is your sport. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's a different. I'm, the hobby's gone. That yeah. was established a long time ago. Yeah. Then you got knowledge, which mm-hmm. gave you more motivation. Yep. And now it's like, okay, now I'm getting training. Now I'm getting back into this. Yep. And, and there is, I think there's an okay level for, anybody to be selfish at that point because you got to focus on 
you. Yeah. I really am giving it a go. Um, I fully believe that I can um, win a world championship. Okay. And until I'm, until I'm convinced otherwise, I will give every ounce of my effort to that goal. Okay. Now, once that is achieved or not achieved, and I understand that that's not in the, that's not in the cards, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think I'll ever reach that point. I think I'm going to strive for that until either my body gives out or my mind. Right? right. But at some point when this becomes, okay, this is not my job anymore. This is my fun thing. Mm-hmm. Then I really would like to get involved in the sport. Cause I've thought about it. I've thought, and my wife has told me like, you you could do it you right. know but and i would love to but again i if i if i pursue that i want to do it 100 percent. right i don't want to give half of my effort it's not fair for me to be an area director or any part of the organization unless i'm giving 100 percent of my effort and my personal life is so busy with the many businesses i'm involved in right and then my free time is taken up by shooting i don't have time no, i get it so get it. when that time slot opens up sure why not i would love to because i think I believe I could do some good, but I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, I know that there's a lot that I think could happen that just actually isn't feasible. Like I'm not saying I'll come in and change organization for the better. Right. But I think I could do some good. Right. Right. I'm not going to fix all everybody's problem. I'm not that arrogant, but I can maybe do something cool. Right. You know, do one cool thing. Right. Right. You have done a lot of cool things, helping a lot of junior shooters get started. With yeah. The sport. Some of them that, are right out there. And that's something a lot of people don't know either. You have tackled a scholastic action shooting team before to do training. You've done a lot of stuff behind the scenes to help grow the sport. Oh, yeah. That a lot of people don't know about. Do you look forward to having those time to do that again in, in Houston area? Do you look forward to doing that again? Or does that still, Hey, I got to focus on me first. Cause I got my personal goals and I'll try to get back in that when I can. No, I'm a hundred percent getting so, so I, I took this last year because I was moving uh, to Houston and mm-hmm. then, you know, I had some other stuff uh, going on personal, uh, like as far as business goes, transitioning everything over to Houston mm-hmm. and starting some things and stopping some things and, um, helping my dad with his house, his house got really affected in the freeze. So we've been actually renovating his house for last year. So he's been living with me. Right. So all those things, I took a break from teaching, even though, you know, I taught a scholastic action shooting team here, Mm -hmm. uh, Permian production, um, or sorry, uh, Permian basin, uh, young guns right here, you know, about uh, 50 or 60 kids a year for about two and a half years. I taught, Mm -hmm. I was the head coach for that team. And uh, a lot of them are here in USPSA shooters now, right? right? Um, but I enjoyed that so much. I will never get busy, too busy to do that again. I took this last year to get my life in Houston right. organized. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at the point where I'm going to start helping them remote again. Right. So I'll be coaching them remote from Houston. And then also I've already reached out to a few organizations in Houston to start helping out there as well mm-hmm. in 2023. So I, I loved teaching those kids. It was cool. And it's purely, you know, donation of time Mm -hmm. for me. I'm not, um, I will never take money to do that because growing the youth sports is, I also did women's classes as well. Okay. Growing the youth and female part of this sport is imperative. And if you want the sport to succeed, that has to be a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, that was a passion project for me that I will continue forever. I think that's cool. That's very cool. From 30,000 feet, 
do you think majority of people think the USPSA is in good shape or where it's going and where it's, how it's doing before, uh, before you get into the nitty gritty? Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, from 30,000 feet, like as a whole, all 36,000 members, mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of them think, yeah, everything's fine. Okay. Yeah. When you, cause when you start digging into it, you know, I think if you start digging into anything, anything. there's always going to be, you know, gaps and opportunities mm-hmm. that are there. But as a whole, you think you, you feel pretty comfortable with where the USPSA is at, where, where it's, what changes are getting ready to happen with all the elections and everything that's getting ready to happen. I'm excited for the future. Good. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. exciting. I'm excited for the path that we're on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's good. I think I think we're on a very solid path. There's a few little uh, bumps in the road I would love to smooth up. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly, um, you know, marketing presence right. as far as outreach. All right. But that's really the only thing. Okay. That's it. I think that we're really um, missing out on a lot of um, exposure there. But then again, we're, like I said, the future is bright. I think the managing director coming in is going to do great things, mm-hmm. uh, whoever it's going to be. Right. Uh, I think whoever the new president is, um, I know, I know Yeeman, I, I know uh, Bruce Gary. I'm going to meet Steve Moneypenny next week at Low right. Cap Nationals. Right. Um, but I, I've read up on those guys. Right. Um, whoever it ends up being, um, you know, we've got more border, more border directors coming in. Yes. Uh, more area directors. Sorry. More area directors coming in. Um, now we have to, Area 4 is about to happen. Yeah. Uh, Mel Rodero, mm-hmm. you know, or Chad, either one of those two guys. Mm-hmm. Can't go wrong either way. Chad's done a great job. Right. And Mel will do a great job if he wins. Right. So I'm excited for Area 4. Area 3, whoever wins that, I don't know what's right. going to happen there. It'd have to be somebody appointed and then have a special election again. So yeah, all yeah, that yeah. process again. Yeah. So um, okay. I, I'm excited. I think we're on a really good trajectory. Nice. Yeah. I think we're on a good trajectory. I'm excited for the future. And especially if a few little tweaks and, and changes happen, I'll right. be super excited. Very cool. So what's next for you? Where, where do you, where do you see you just continue the path continue everything you're doing? You got other opportunities that may present itself to you at some point. Do you know? Uh, I'm always looking to evolve. Okay. Uh, I will continue to strive to try to be the best competitor in the world. Um, obviously I have a long way to go. (laughs) Um, but until then I'm just going to be the best competitor I can be at the, at the moment. So, um, but I'm always trying to evolve things, whether it be starting a podcast or getting involved in a youth organization Mm -hmm. or, uh, helping out USPSA behind the scenes because okay. I, I work with, I work with a lot of the people involved in USPSA behind the scenes. They okay. ask me my opinions as far as business decisions or, you know, my opinion on certain things or matches or what have you and, and, um, questions and I'll keep doing that, you know, Good. but I see, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably keep just doing stuff that I feel like doing. Nice. Right. Nice. So nowhere near the burnout you were in 2021. No. Yeah. I was, I was yeah, that was a rough couple months. You feel rejuvenated. Ready oh to go. yeah. Yeah. The second, the second I went to, uh, um, the second match after that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I saw you there at that match. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember what match that was. Was it area four? Probably so. I think it was area four. Um, right after that, the midway through that match, it, it felt like, I could breathe. Okay. Right. I was like, okay, I'm back. I love this place. I'm never going no matter what happens. Okay. Right. Cause just the, 
I couldn't get 10 feet without somebody stopping me and, and thanking me or saying, yeah. Hey, I think you're cool. Or I love what you do. Or I love your podcast or, Hey man, you're awesome. Or, you know, it was amazing. And it right. just really, you know, just invigorated that like, you know what, I'm not going to let a few loud negative voices affect my overall positivity. Right. And I think we're all guilty of that. We are. I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I've been a negative voice in USPSA's ear saying some stuff where I've maybe been a little harsh on them on some points and I'm mm -hmm. sure they've looked at it and gone, you know what? Screw that guy. Right. right. But you know, I think the more positivity, the better at this point, right? Positivity okay. fixes everything. So that's, I think that it takes every, two people to argue. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's a great point. And I think honestly, everyone who has issues with USPSA or whatever, I don't think all the negativity online helps anything. I think right. if anything, we need to be positive, find solutions, not, you know, if you have a problem, come to a problem with a solution. I tell all my employees, if you come to me with a problem and don't have a solution, don't walk in my office. Right. Right. Unless I'm your last resort. Right. Right. I, I, I think the same thing should go for USPSA. If a member has an issue, have a have a resolution. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I think that's, I'm excited. Well, that's cool. Where can people find you at Trevor? Uh, so all of my stuff is banging underscore brass on Instagram, Facebook, um, YouTube. Um, you know, I'm on uh, Truth, uh, you know, the Truth new social, social media. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Truth Social, uh, TikTok. Nice. Uh, even though they, you know, keep me shadow. Oh, yeah. That's part yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, uh, uh, and then find me at a match, man. I go to I go to a lot of majors. If you see me walking around, come say hi. Right. I will say hi to you and I will hang out with you and I'll try to make you laugh. Cool. Or, or you know just tickle you or something I'll, oh, well. I'll get a laugh out of you well uh thank you so much for being a great ambassador for hunters hd gold over the you know the years that we've known each other and everything else we've had a lot of fun we've had a lot of times that you know we've actually debated a couple of times and we, oh, yeah. we, we get into situations where neither one of us agree on certain things and we just like well that was a good debate i like that yeah we, <laughs> out, you know? we still hung out but we have some we have some pretty heated debates sometimes because oh, yeah. you're you're pretty you know hard-headed and i'm pretty damn stubborn too when it comes to certain things because we both get to see different parts of the different things we see from the inside and outside as well so yeah because you see good all to, of the behind the scenes well it's just good to be able to be a part to help try to keep things organized mm -hmm. you know and, and there's a lot of people right now that are all over the place because they're you know the one man shows doing a lot of things that you know, other people aren't doing anymore so they those people want to get organized as well. But it's oh, one yeah. of those things I, I defend people, you know, just like we did, just like when everything happened back, like we talked about before, you know, I, I was, I'm was, and, 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 and still like Mike because he helped put me where I'm at with the official mm -hmm. eyewear. I, I, I'll give him those kudos and yep. for every day, but it's just one of those things that, you know, I don't have that power to make somebody not say anything that's, you know, to, to silence anybody. Yeah. And that's what, you know, one thing we talked about, but well, man, thank you so much today. We're sitting down with me. I think being able to learn a Bit more about your history, where you come from, and where you're at now with the shooting sports. Because you know, we see a lot of people come and go, and you even see people come and oh, go yeah. in just the you know three or four years you've been doing this as well. And it's just like the stability in you know where we're at for the future, being able to get people to step up to the next level and be able to bring new ideas to the board or be able to have those conversations. I think that's something that you have a gift for with what you're doing through your podcast and everything else. And it may not be for everybody, but it's one of those things once you understand where your heart's at.
yep. then they understand that, okay, he may have a pretty harsh way of saying it, but we know his heart's right. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, everybody, I'm trying, I'm trying to tone that down. Everybody's got their voice, though. Yeah. You know, that, that's one of those things. You've got your voice. Now, you, yeah. you took advantage of that situation um, to not be silenced and to be in a way to help impact things and in a way to make the sport grow because it is dear to you. I think based on having plenty of conversations with you, the sport means more to you than you ever thought it would. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, I did cool. not think when I walked on a range for the first time to shoot a match in 2018 that I'd be here. Yep. I, I would have, you could have bet me a million dollars. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> right, but dude, I appreciate you, man. You, you, so you've been a big part of my success in this sport, well, especially that. just, I don't pull the trigger then. Well, yeah, but I, <laughs> but, but you, you know, you're, I got, you know how often I come to yeah. you for advice. Yeah. You know what I mean? I trust you and you do so much for the sport. You're, I've, I've said this since I've met you. You're the hardest working person in USPS. Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, you're you're an awesome dude and i love your podcast right well thank you <laughs> uh, i i freaking love this podcast so being on it i'm like a little giddy i was no, nervous i was legit ner- i do my own podcast and i was so nervous to come do okay. this you i just i, I mean? love having conversations oh yeah and if, you know and people that you know i did conversations with people last year they're like going can't believe you gave them a platform. I'm like, well, I just want to have a conversation. It's the first yeah. time I ever sat down with them before. It doesn't matter if you don't like that one, click to the next one. But exactly. it's one, it's one of those things where I love having conversations with people. And because I've been building relationships since I was 21 in retail sales and that's, yeah. what, that's what I do. So anything else before we get off here, man, I want to thank you for keeping me in this. I think honestly, your support, you know, when I was going through all that, mm-hmm. like just personally, you know, you had a lot to do with me going, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. I, you know, I don't know if I've ever even told you how much I appreciate that, but my wife has even said like, you know, you would call and check on me and, you know, we would talk and you would give me advice and I would vent to you and you would, you know, kind of keep me going. And, and you really, you, I think you were a pretty big part of me, not just folding everything up in a box and and kicking it down the street. So I appreciate that. You helped me you've helped me since I started shooting really. I mean, we met pretty early on in my, in my shooting career and you supported me from jump street and you really were very imperative in getting me through that, that hard left turn that took in my career to wow. get right back on track. So I appreciate that dude. And you're I, very welcome. Yeah. Thank you for saying incredible. that. You're very welcome. Well, Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of Hunter's HD Gold Behind the Lens. And until next time, of course, we'll see you at the range soon. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you, brother.